bounces away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. And then there were eight, as half the competition have their mad, or not so mad, Mondays, while the rest of the competition heats up. Stick around as our full panel delivers the season reviews of The Fallen and some analysis of the upcoming fixtures. We have the full complement of Above the Horizontal panellists back. Uh, Miles Stedman, welcome back. You had last week off. Uh, Did you happen to get hold of any of the Facebook comments on our props, our top 10 props? And did you receive any any of that feedback that we received? Well, I feel like you guys forwarded me through all the the feedback we were getting. So, yes, I, I got all of it. What did you make of our top 10, by the way? Uh, because you weren't actually on the episode when we revealed it, but you did vote in it. Uh, did you feel it was a pretty fair representation of of our thoughts, I suppose? Well, funnily enough, I, I almost tend to agree with the commenters in in a way, in that um, I, I'm the kind of guy that thinks that um, yeah, from maybe like three, four, five down, it's you can pretty much write down any name and, and be some sort of correct because it's just it seems to be such a... Um, uh, a fungible position where you know one stretch of the season one player can be peaking and they can look like a top 10 prop and then it could be another player in the back end of the season and there's just a ton of movement outside the the three or four elite truly elite props in the league so you know if your guy wasn't there i'm sorry but um you know yeah hey i mean there's four of us and so those those 10 players that got voted for they must have been some sort of consistent right Good point. Kieran Gibson, welcome back. You've had a couple of weeks off. Uh, how's the moon boot going? Uh, good, actually. It's, um, I actually got a text from my podiatrist today to say I can take it off tomorrow for uh, small periods around the house. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, even if it's just something small, I think I'll be grateful for that. Um, and I largely on that top 10 uh, agreed with most of it. I had, I think I had three different to uh, what we can what finish with. Um, and yeah, I thought it was pretty spot on. I uh, I have a new strategy for, for counting the tips. Uh, sorry, the counting the votes. I'm going to reveal to you guys after the pod. Uh, Daniel, friend, you are back. You were on that episode last week. We uh, we copped a fair bit from the from the fans. You got six out of eight uh, last week on the tips, which all of us did. Uh, friendy, my bold prediction was that my ladder predictor would be exactly right, and it was. One to seven, but I had the Sharks in an eight. Your bold prediction was that the Titans will round out the top eight. So, well done to you, I suppose. Thanks, Bo. Uh, good to have the guys back. It's, yeah, phenomenal to have everyone here on the first week of finals. Uh, so, yeah, and got the bold last week, which is great too. So, um, looking forward to today's episode. Did done a bit of uh, prep work, so hopefully we can rip into it. Hopefully that prep work does not include just watching Michael Ennis and Ruan Sim say the word phenomenal five times an episode. The five times is probably generous. <laughs> it's probably way more than that. Uh, but yes, you've got the bold prediction. Phenomenal effort from you. Um, what I will ask you to do is tell me what you learned last week, Friendy. What I learned last week, Bo, was that the season might just be a little bit too long. So watching the dogs and the tigers 
on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Um, it was a bit dull. So, yeah, I'm ready for the finals, and uh, I think I'm more ready than I've ever been. I'm really excited for this final series. That was a scheduling uh fuck up wasn't it like having having those guys as the as the channel nine game on the last sunday of the round when neither of them were any realistic chance of making the eight probably like that's that's a bit of a misstep wasn't it uh yeah that was just yuck yuck yuck's a good word for it or we can just run the fart sound as we have done previously uh miles deadman what did you learn last week well, just please indulge me for a second here because I've got a few things to sort of add on to, to, to what Friend said. First of all, I completely agree with him. Um, fully in, fully endorse a 16-week season, one buy for each team. That would make me very happy. Um, or two buys, actually, that would be. Um, less product, more demand, you know, basic economics. But anyway, um, it, it's always interesting, I feel like, when the schedule comes out and you look at the last few weeks of the season and you see sort of who the NRL thinks is going to be or good or, or in and around the, the eight by the end of the season. I, I think the NRL thought that maybe the Bulldogs would be a little better than they were, uh, like many did preseason, um, mm. and, and same for the Tigers when they were actually both at the bottom of the standings. So, uh, lol. Um, but anyway, look, um, what, what did I learn? <laughs> I learned that I think that Cameron Smith is the smartest of the Queensland legends. Um, the Maroons legends already ruled himself out of the, the running for the newly vacated Queensland head coach position. Um, he, I believe, earlier today on the radio, ruled himself out um, when he was brought up alongside um, some of his compatriots, such as Jonathan Thurston, Billy Slater, as a potential replacement for Paul, Paul Green. Um, but look, Smith's no fool. He knows that I think this current Maroon's job is a, a bit of a hiding to nothing, um, or at least for anyone that's not uh, already one of the, the best rugby league coaches. There's maybe three names there that could probably resurrect the the queensland team right now and and look i think while maybe he might fancy himself as a a future head coach in the league i'm sure he's aware that right now that all that queensland job would do is probably damage his brand if anything yeah good call uh while we're on that miles do you suspect that greenie was tapped on the shoulder or do you think he fell on his own sword uh, of his own volition uh it's a, it's a good question. I mean, like, you know, at the start you say, well, absolutely, he was tapped. But then again, you know, you, you talk about the the damage that to your brand that um, uh, another state of origin loss could do to you, especially if it's a bad one. Like, and look, despite Game 3, last last uh, series was absolutely a bad loss for Queensland. So, uh, look, I, I think probably 75% he was tapped, 25% he just saw the writing on the wall for next season and thought, oh, bugger it. I was, maybe, maybe he... Maybe he wants to coach the Tigers, who knows? I think you could be right there. Kieran Gibson, what did you learn last week? Uh, I learned something about that team that Miles just mentioned and the Cowboys. So I have that the Cowboys and Tigers could have just as much work to do as the Bulldogs, if not more. The way both of their seasons finished was abysmal, and they don't have the same calibre of players coming in as the Bulldogs. On top of all that, the Bulldogs finished with a better defensive record than both sides, and as friend of the pod, Gus always says, defence wins games. Good friend of the podcast, uh, as we discussed last week, Friendy. Uh, what I learned last week was the Broncos don't rate Ethan Bullymore as highly as I do. My word, I'd be holding on to him if I was them, particularly on their upward trajectory. Uh, it looks like the Seagulls are poised to sign him on a three-year deal as the Broncos weren't able to guarantee him a spot in their 17 moving forward. 
Now, that's obviously very high praise, I think, for the players that he, they're suggesting he's not going to beat into a position because I think he's quite a good one. And I think the Seagulls are onto a winner there, particularly if they uh, got him at the right price. So uh, Broncos and Bulldogs look like they're on the upward trajectory. I agree with you, Kieran. It looks like the Tigers and the Cowboys could be in for a tough one. Let's move on to our wildcard awards. I'll start us off. And this one's about as shocking as I, I never thought I would say these words, to be honest. So I'll <laughs> prepare you with that. It's the Honorary Michael Scott How the Turn Tables Award for gradually shifting my opinion, and it goes to Matt Lodge. Look, I've I've been amongst his harshest critics, I think, uh, especially after his monstrous actions in the USA, which are indefensible. And I'm still not entirely sure he and anyone else who has serious charges leveled against them that are proven to be true, particularly when they involve violence towards women or children, I'm not entirely sure they should be involved in the NRL. But... Here we are. And after his little brain explosion on the weekend, which again shouldn't have happened and absolutely gives ammunition to people like me who don't think he should be playing at this level, he gave perhaps the best apology I've ever read. I'm cynical. You know, apologies without change behavior is just manipulation. But when he talked about not always getting it right and but trying to get better, it, it struck a chord with me. I, I'm someone who has been ashamed of my actions before, and I would always want that chance to make myself a better person. And then you are going to relapse or you are going to slip up, and especially when you're in the in the public sphere and you've got people booing you all the time, and that, that would be tough. So I just wanted to pay credit to Matt Lodge where it's due. It does appear that he's moving in the right direction, even with these kinds of slip-ups. So I'm not sure how you guys read that apology, but to me, it, it actually struck a bit of a chord and it kind of made me like him a bit more, which I which I honestly never thought I'd say. So the, the honorary Michael Scott How the Turntables Award for gradually shifting my opinion goes to <laughs> Matt Lodge. <laughs> Friendy, what is your wildcard award this week? My wildcard award this week, Bo, is the Puppet Master Award and it goes to Wayne Bennett. So, Wayne's off contract at the end of this year. Uh, He'll be leaving Souths, and the rumour is that he'll be the coach for the new expansion side up in Queensland, whoever that may be, and that leaves him with next year with, I guess, what to do. And, obviously, Paul Green has mysteriously sort of walked away from the Queensland job. Um, I think that means Wayne, again, has played everyone off a break and, and played them as puppets, and he'll walk back into that Queensland job for a year, top up his super a bit more, which he can, he can actually weirdly access already. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I think he'll do the Queensland job again next year and then walk into the, the role at the new expansion team. So I think Wayne has played this perfectly, as he always does, and, yeah, credit to him. So you are of the opinion that Greeny was tapped then? I have no doubt Greeny was tapped and the great Wayne Bennett will be in that maroon uh, blazer next year. Very interesting. I, I could see a potential situation where someone like a Billy Slater gets it and Bennett does an assistant role a la yeah, the, the, Steve, yeah. the Steve Kearney situation at the, at the Kiwis. But um, yeah, I, I do think he will be in the maroon blazer in some capacity for sure. Uh, Kieran, what's your wildcard award this week? Um, I've got a bit of a throwback to, uh, well, sort of a throwback to high school, not exactly now that I come to think of it, but it mentions high school. I have my favourite type of finals award, which goes to the NRL. Um, I didn't mind finals exams in high school, but I'd, I'd certainly take a sporting final over one every day of the week if that wasn't already obvious. Um, I'm just as friend you said earlier, I'm really keen for this next month of footy. I think also uh, the most keen I've ever been for an NRL final series. 
that's a big call considering the Cowboys aren't playing a part. Uh, is that this is it, true? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, is that just is that just sort of is that just speaking to how much you're just missing? I think high a, quality football. Yeah, and as a neutral, I think um, the top four sides. I mean, obviously the top four sides are always the best um, teams. No, I still think no top four team outside the top four has ever won the comp. And but I really think uh, there's some amazing quality from turbo to uh monster that every player pretty much the storm has um you look at those top four sides the players they have i'm really keen yeah you're you're always saying kamakamitha and tavoyevich in the same breath aren't you um (laughs) (laughs) just kidding just kidding uh what's what's your wildcard award this week I've got the uh, Ferris Bueller Award for never a day off, and that goes to Tigers fans, unfortunately, um, <laughs> winning another award. Uh, who, look, a, d- a day after the season, uh, ignominiously came to an end against the, the Bulldogs. Um, hell, they couldn't escape the shame of being a Tigers fan for not even one day. Um, seems like almost every rugby league pundit and his job joined the uh, the conga line to this club on the arse. Um, and look, you know what? Fire Michael Maguire, don't fire him. Um, I think there's probably little chance that either adventure results in the finals next season for the Tigers, unless there's a drastic change around. So uh, does it really matter? I'm not sure. But the certainly the entire league loves to, to get its licks in with this permanently trodden on team when they can, don't they? Absolutely. It's actually, it's actually been pretty hilarious, the amount of articles that have come out about the Tigers as well. Like, And it's just like, like random stuff. Like, oh, here's the f- here's five people that could replace these five people that are getting the arse. And, oh, Michael Maguire's this or Michael Maguire's that. Or here's this person that can fix it. Here comes Tim Sheens. It's like, it, it's, it's hilarious. It's only happened since Sunday. It's been three days. We were recording this on a Wednesday. I reckon I've seen Dead Set, in terms of headlines, like 10 tigers related articles and they're not even playing next week um just ridiculous how much airtime they've had so let's give them some more airtime but in a different way we're going to talk about the uh season reviews pretty much we have eight teams that have ended their season gentlemen and we thought it would be a good chance for us to talk about where it went wrong for these teams obviously uh any shining lights they had because they were all outside the top eight so Few and far between, I'm guessing. And what are their future chances? What what can we expect from these teams heading into uh, 2022? And I, I thought we'd start at the top end of the bottom eight, which of course is ninth position, just narrowly missing out. They had the chance to to take their destiny into their own hands by uh, defeating the Storm, which they could not manage. It's the Cronulla Sharks. Um, and before we get into it, Friendy, I might ask everybody for one word to describe the Sharks' season. So, Miles, what do you got? Deserved. Reserved? Deserved. Deserved with a oh, D. Oh, deserved. Yes. Okay. I, I, can, I can smell a coaching-related situation there. Uh, <laughs> I think that word is deserved. Deserved, sure. yes. Very good. Kieran, what's your word? Uh, overperform. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought that as well. For me, it was busted. Like, they, they were just, they always, they seemed like they were kind of not quite uh, able to field their best team or a lot of their best players were injured and things like that. Friendy, what's your word? My word was odd for the Sharks. <laughs> um, and it goes with basically what I'll talk about now, where it went wrong. I think sacking the coach in, I think it was round four. I find that just bizarre um, to give someone the whole preseason. You've uh, implemented their systems, their structures, everything like that, and um, to just give John Morris the flick, it, it seemed very odd. 
I also think where it went wrong was when Sean Johnson uh, went down injured. I thought that sort of ruined the the rest of the season for the Sharks. Um, I know we're going to talk about shining lights as well in terms of the Sharks. I think the shining light was Will Kennedy at the back. I think he had his best season. Um, He was probably their best player, I think. Um, And he really, uh, I guess kept that number one jersey with a host of guys that could have taken it from him. So uh, whether it was Moylan or even Metcalf at the end and and people like that. So I think he's done a really good job in that number one jersey. He was their shining light. Um, And I think in terms of their future chances, the... I think the future's bright at Cronulla. So I think the recruits that they've got um, are very solid, uh, capable players. And I think their coach looks to be, or from what they've said, um, is going to be a good coach in Craig Fitzgibbon. So I I think the future's bright at Cronulla. Do you anticipate that they will perhaps be pushing into that top eight next year then? I think they'll be around the same mark and potentially, yeah, they could go one or two higher. So whether that's eighth or seventh or something like that, I think they'll be be between where they are now and, and maybe seventh spot. And and on that recruitment, you, you mentioned that Will Kennedy, and he I agree with you, he had a very fine season. Pretty unlucky not to make our top 10 fullbacks. Yep. Someone that did make the top 10 fullbacks was Nico Hines, who they're recruiting. Yeah, uh, yep. Are you going Hines in the halves, Kennedy at fullback, or do you, do you move Kennedy to bring Hines in? I think it depends how they want to play. If they're going to play um, split halves, so one side of the field... Um, have a half on one side of the field each then I think Nico will start in the halves if they're not going to do that and they're going to have a dominant number seven I'm not sure who that'll be then you've got a decision to make whether you put Nico back to number one or Nico plays uh, at 5'8", and you've got a dominant halfback. Because I don't, I don't see Nico being a dominant number seven, but I think he could do a sharing role where they split the halves on either side of the field. Hmm. Like, kind of like a Jerome Hughes kind of situation at the Storm. Yeah, game. sort of like that. Hughes runs the right side and Munster runs the left. So potentially Nico could slot in somewhere like that. Whether he's wearing the seven or six doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, that's what they're going to have to work out first. And that's that'll determine where Nico plays. That all sounds pretty good to me, and I tend to agree. I think the Sharks are on the up. The team that came 10th, there was another team that narrowly missed out. They could have taken Destiny somewhat into... Well, actually, as it turns out, if they did beat the Roosters on Thursday night, they would have been in 8th position. Many of us would have tipped them to be in the top 6 at the start of the season. I think the Seagulls probably wouldn't have been in most top 6s, and the Raiders would have been. Um, Friendy, what's a word to describe the Raiders' season? Infighting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Miles, what's yours? Suspenseful. Ooh, oh, yeah. It came right down to the wire, Kieran. Miserly. Miserly? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, why, why miserly? Uh, I just thought it was, yeah, uh, I guess they finished 10th, but I still thought it was a long way off where they should have been, and it only just got worse as it went on. Fair enough. Mine was shit house. Um, <laughs> and look, where where it went wrong is it it feels like as as you say, friendly with the infighting. It feels like there are a lot of issues behind closed doors that we are seeing small glimpses of in the public domain. Uh, like obviously the George Williams situation, John Bateman before him, and they don't seem like a happy camp. They're they're a bit more talented than what they let on. So you know, Ricky Stewart hasn't been able to pull the correct reins at various points this season with the talent that he has at his disposal. And in seasons bygone as well, not just this season, like obviously a couple, last couple of years they were very good, but before that they were underperforming and they performed really well and underperforming. He's been there for a long time. 
So, I I wonder how he is as safe as he appears to be. Like, he must have friends in the media or something that sort of look after him a bit because, like, Madge, and Madge obviously doesn't. Michael Maguire, like, he is gone because the media is going to make sure of it. Ricky Stewart? Yeah, he seems pretty safe, doesn't he? No one's talking about his job. The other thing about uh, this season for them was Jack Whiten. He feels like he hasn't been able to make that adjustment to being considered an elite player. Like, after the last couple of years, you know, the Dally M and the Clive Churchill, he, he moved into that elite player mould, very much like a like a Michael Morgan, say. But then Michael Morgan got injured, couldn't keep up with the elite tag. I don't think Jack Whiten's able to either, and that really hurt the Raiders. Uh, the shining light for them, I thought, was Jordan Rapiner. Uh, I never thought I'd nominate him after the start of the year, but he really found his groove towards the end of the year and did a pretty excellent job deputizing for Nickel Klukstar, which would have been pretty tricky to do. As for their future chances, I actually... It's hard to tell with the Raiders because they are a bit rocks and diamonds, as I've mentioned in previous years, but it's tough to see them improving a great deal next year because they've done nothing in the transfer market. They haven't brought anybody else in. Uh, They have made some key re-signings, including Xavier Savage, Hudson Young, Matt Tomoko, Harley Smith-Shields. So there's some good young backs, um, good young forwards. Elliot Whitehead's another re-signing as well. Uh, So, I guess I I am very keen to see Xavier Savage and Nicole Klukstar in the same team. I don't know how that will work. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I I suspect that Savage will do what RTS did when he was deputizing for Minicello, which is just bide your time on the wing and just get yourself some first-grade football and get used to the pace and all that sort of stuff. Um, But, yeah, I, I actually... I'm actually not confident at all that they can get back into the top eight. They've been really, really disappointing this year. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess tenth actually sounds about right for maybe next year. They, they should be they should be challenging, but maybe won't. A team that surprised a bunch of people this year. I, I think before Friendy, you joined the podcast. We did season predictions at the start of the year with Miles and Kieran, and we all had the Dragons in the bottom two. And they ended up coming 11th, which is not so bad. Um, they were in the top eight for a, a good bunch of the season as well. Kieran, what's one word to describe the dragon season? A roller coaster. <laughs> good call. Friendy, what do you say? Morons. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually say good. I think their season was good. Uh, considering the cattle they had and the expectations, I thought they were okay. Um, <laughs> I like okay. morons, though. Uh, <laughs> Miles, what's your word? I had inevitable. Um, yeah. And I, I think the reason I chose inevitable is that we, we did think that they were probably going to turn out um, not so good as opposed to um, anything else at the start of the year, with uh, especially with Anthony Griffin. We, we really sort of shadowed him at the beginning of the year. But look, it... You know, where did it go wrong? Um, it, look, it cl- obviously clearly went wrong when, when half the team decided to throw a party in, in their own honour um, after an, after one point win over the equally struggling Warriors, I might add. So nothing to really throw a party about. But um, look, obviously the suspensions hit the club like a ton of bricks. But um, I think it's it was even worse when um, that that portion of the the group probably lost a bit of trust with the rest of the locker room. So you know you, you can't you can't operate a club that sort of division and you know despite what the the rest of the club might say publicly i think any player would have been insulted by the the actions of the the small few 
decently large few that threw that party. Um, uh, for the future, you know, that we did see some young guys like uh, Teletau Amon and, and uh, Tyrrell Sloan and Jaden Sullivan. They got a bit of a run, and, and Zach Lomax was, I think, probably where he, we expected him to be based on last season, um, which is pushing for state of origin until he got hurt, unfortunately. But look, I think if you're one of those four, what's the point? What is really compelling you to, to re-sign with this club? Well, you raise an, an interesting point um, because I, I guess the upside for them is they are going to get some first-grade football at a club like the Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, you would think, because there isn't much else. They, they actually seem to be backing in those kids, don't they? Letting go of guys like Dufty and Corey Norman um, to to give them a shot. Um, but do you do you doubt their ability to hold those those key young players? Well. Look, you're right in that they will probably get um, the best shot to play first-grade football at the Dragons, but, you know, who knows what next year holds. Maybe one or two of them explode and, and all of a sudden they have a bunch of suitors as opposed to maybe only one or two like they would now. But um, if I'm if I'm one of these four guys, uh, I, I look at the club, I look at its its track record the past few years under both Paul McGregor and now um, Anthony Griffin, and you think, well... Look, not only has this club consistently gotten it wrong in its calls to when to back its coaches and when to fire them and, and whatnot and the kind of culture that's emerged at the Dragons, is this really what's best for my football? And I, I think right now the answer is no. And Zach has certainly improved next year. Um, who knows what's in store, as I said, especially with the massive clean-out, um, one of those guys being uh, party-goers as well. But um, I think right now, if you're one of those three, four guys, you know, even Lomax is at that party, goodness. Um, you say, well, r- right now the Dragons is probably, you know, the worst or the second worst club to be at, I'd say. What What do you make of their recruitment, Miles? Because I'll, I'll throw two names at you, two pieces of business. They, they signed Francis Molo, who is now a state of origin rep for Queensland. You know, take that with the caveat that it deserves. Um, <laughs> now, he's... He's on a three-year deal worth 500k a year, um, and Moses Suli just signed a three-year 1.7 million dollar deal to play left center. That's a lot of money for a couple of guys that are probably best described as first graders. Yeah, it is, um, and that's the exact same problem that uh, you know the other team on their level, which is the Tigers, have. Um, they, they, they tend to have to overpay for these sort of guys, and particularly Sully, that scares the life out of me. I mean, he, he his career was hanging on by a thread when Des Hasler got a hold of him and has somehow turned him into a consistent football first-grade football player who supposedly at least shows up to practice on time and doesn't sleep in his car and all the rest of it. But down there, in um, especially uh, on the, the south coast where life is a little slower and a little bit more relaxed and the culture is to put it mildly absolutely up in the air I, I really worry for how south his football could go if he's not got his head screwed on straight and it, he's one of those guys that you you think well once we're giving the money is his heart going to be in anymore because based off his track record in the past like when the tigers gave him that uh, close to million dollar extension it really wasn't so um and and francis Molo, yeah he's a good football player but he's, he's just that he's a good football player he's Nothing crazy, and he'll he'll add some juice to their forward pack. But um, you know, by the time that contract's upheld, he's going to be 30, 31. 
Yeah, I, I think you're about right. Um, so, yeah, okay, fair enough. The Dragons not looking like a top eight team next year, you're thinking maybe a bottom four or maybe the same as this year? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think, like I said with the Tigers last year, I think they're about a year behind the Tigers at this point. And um, like I said with the Tigers last year, I think it's only going to get worse before it gets better. So I can see them dropping down to 13th, 14th, you know, really consolidating those guys like Sloan, Sullivan, and what have you. Maybe even Duff, uh, so Dufty, maybe even um, Lomax at fullback next year. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see some consolidation of spots going forward and. Um, you know, some green shoots, sure, but uh, a much worse football team than we saw this year, that's for sure. The next team we have is the Warriors, and they came in at 12th position, and my word is gallant for the Warriors. They they fought along uh, against tough circumstances, so gallant for me. Friendy, what do you have for the Warriors? Positive. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Miles? <laughs> I had a slightly... Uh, <laughs> Slightly less enthusiastic word. I had unbecoming. Ooh. Uh, because of the <laughs> ending to the season? Oh, because of all of it, really. I mean, it was a standard Warriors season. They showed some promise. They looked like they could make the eight. They missed out, and the, the best player walked out of them. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the word you have? Uh, I had fickle. I, I was going along the same sort of lines as Miles, like, pretty much had a classic warrior season um it was up and down they looked like they could make the eight at one stage there and they they lost their last three um when they were right in with a chance um so yeah i'd say that that's part of where it went wrong other than their recruitment they struggled to close out games um notably went up by six or more against the cowboys and dragons um and as I said, yeah, they lost their last three matches and some ill-discipline crept in and their desire and ability to play 80 minutes. Um, as the one-word description reveals, it, it just their desire ebbed and flowed throughout games. It, I don't recall an 80-minute performance, and if you can't put that together once in a season, I don't think you should play finals football, although that's asking a lot of rugby league players to do that, to be honest. Um, they desperately need a dominant half runner rather than just, or need a dominant half rather than just runners of the ball in the halves. Um, I think that that's probably uh, their biggest thing to solve at the moment. They've got very young halves, although I don't know how old Nikarima is, but I think he's best off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. Shining lights, Reese Walsh obviously burst onto the scene when he came over, but I think that their most consistently impressive for mine was Josh Curran. Um, and then future mm-hmm. chances with the notable additions of Sean Johnson and Aaron Penny, a fit and firing warrior side could be pushing for the top eight next season. Um, my worry is that the top eight right now is probably a bit too strong for them and there will be more possibly contenders for it next season that that will see them miss out again so you expect them to be maybe the bottom half of the top of the bottom eight yeah. so that's the top oh. of the top of the bottom eight sorry yes yes from that ninth to 12th position around about well i'll say ninth or tenth again do uh, you, well, what did they come they, they came 12th, 12th. Yeah. yeah do you do you rate the uh the signing of sean johnson uh, I mean, you, I don't know how to because he hasn't really played much. Um, he's been injured for so long, it's it's hard to know what's going to happen. But so, yeah, actually, no, I don't. He's been injured that long. I don't know what you're going to get from him. I, I don't know how much they got him for. I forget. But, yeah, I don't really rate it that much. 
it was cheaper than what they let him go for initially. Uh, I'll tell you that. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they go. I, I desperately want the Warriors to do well. Um, I've got a soft spot for them, and that maybe is why I said gallant, but um, and why Friendy said positive, I suppose. But uh, yeah, h- difficult to see them pushing in the top eight. It, it does feel like those top eight teams are starting to move away from the bottom eight. Like the gap is just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and the Warriors don't mm. seem like one of those teams that's ready to make a charge, in my opinion, anyway. Um, let's talk about a team that's also not appearing ready to make a charge. The 13th place West Tigers. My word for them is expected. I expected this exact result, to be honest. I expected them to be a bottom four team. Their roster was not up to it. Expected for me. Kieran, what was your word? Uh, disheartening. Disheartening. Yeah, it would be really... It is hard uh, being in the same group chat as Chris Waring when he's struggling through this season. <laughs> the poor fella. Miles, what's, what's your word? <laughs> Embarrassing. Oh, the poor Tigers. <laughs> a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a thing. Uh, Friendy, what's yours? Mess. Yeah, and that's exactly what they are. They're like that. They give you a little bit of hope, like that drunken uncle you see every Christmas, and he just doesn't quite have his shit together. And he um, <laughs> he he seems all right for a little bit, and then he has a few beers, and it's just like this is the same <laughs> old story of Uncle Bob. And yeah, the Tigers are just that. So uh, Jack Gibson. So where it went wrong, Jack Gibson once said, "Winning starts in the front office." And I think that's exactly where it went wrong. Uh, their rostered management, it, it's just, it's appalling. Like, it's terrible. Um, the shining light is, without a doubt, Adam Dewey for mine. I think he's actually had a really good year, um, personally, and I think he's carried that team at times. And it shows when he's out, I don't think they've won a game. Um, also, I think they, for their future chances, they need to sign a big fish who can influence results consistently. Um, and, and in their favour. Until they do that, I think they're going to be also runs and, and exactly like Uncle Bob every year. <laughs> um, so, do you anticipate them a, a very similar result next year or do you actually expect them to be maybe even a wooden spoon contender? Oh, I think they're just going to linger at 12th, 13th. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're competitive in some games and they do have a go, but until they sign a, a superstar, I just can't see them contending even for the eight, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Do you have a, a superstar in mind? Do you do you do the five names that were uh, suggested on in the media, like Aaron Woods and Braden Burns? Do they cut the mustard, or are you do you think someone else a bit higher profile? Yeah, if I was the Tigers, I wouldn't uh, pay Woodsy with money I found on the ground. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, to be honest, I'd be going for a, a really big fish, one in the, the ilk of sort of James Tedesco, who they had and let go. Um, uh, they missed out on Latrell Mitchell. Uh, if if Cameron Munster's off contract and he's talking about going to that expansion team, I'd dead said I'd, I'd contemplate paying him 1.6, 1.8, something like to get him to the club. You need a circuit breaker so other people are going to join because at the moment what's what they're doing there just isn't working and it's been like that for 10 years yeah i think you make a good point about it being like you probably are going to have to pay overs but if you are going to pay overs pay overs for one of those players don't pay overs yep. for with respect moses Sully. pay overs for tedesco monster pappenhausen like you know a, a, an elite player yep exactly right very interesting i i tend to agree with you i think they will be 
Actually, I think they're probably a wooden spoon contender next year with my Cowboys, but more on that in a moment. Let's talk about the Broncos first, because the Broncos did jump above the Cowboys in the last round, which was super fun, uh, living in Brisbane as a Cowboys fan. Um, My word for the Broncos is promising. I I think there's, yeah, there's an uptick, slight uptick for the Broncos uh, towards the end of the year and obviously with some signings. Um, Kieran, what's your word for the Broncos? Yeah, I've got improving. Mm, same thing then. Uh, Friendy, what's your word? Ditto to Kieran. I had improving as well. Yeah, oh, look at us being on the same page. Miles, surely not. Yeah, I had hopeful. <laughs> oh! <laughs> um, obviously, they got the wooden spoon last year, Miles. So, uh, so where did it go wrong this year, I guess? Well, I, I think they really struggled to work out their best lineup for the first two thirds of the season, almost, which really hampered um, the team's ability to string together good results. You, you see the last six weeks of the season, um, and they, I think they earned about three of their, their seven wins. So clearly, Kevin Walters has worked out who he likes and, and where, which is bad news for the Cynics, such as myself. Um, but look, they're, they're, I think their media future has potential. Um, you see players like Tessie Neer, Albert Kelly even, um, even though he's a little bit older, as is Adam Reynolds, who will probably be partnering with the halves next year, Jake Turpin, someone Cobbo, of course, Payne Haas. Uh, uh, so there's, uh, there is some the no- names there for sure, but it, it is a weird combination of players. I don't think anyone um, would mind me saying that. But look, would you would you really uh, be totally surprised if it, it, it fell totally flat? Um, and even if it doesn't, uh, you've, you've got the... A little bit of a, a faux pas, in my opinion. Of you know, you got this massive contract to be paying out to Reynolds, who's um, certainly on the wrong side of thirty now, and you combine that with your current superstar, uh, Payne Haas, who is, is yet to be paid. Um, so, you know that that is on the I think well, on the horizon might be harsh, but I think it certainly hangs over the team, um, and it could make the finals next year. I think uh, if, it, if it all goes to plan, but they could also be setting themselves up for a, a truly epic fail over the next few seasons if doesn't work out and you say Haas signs somewhere else and Reynolds does fall off a cliff like the Rabbitohs sort of thought he would and maybe a few of those guys don't turn out like they thought they would and it, it could really get ugly for the Broncos. So I, I guess if you had to pick one of those, are, are you thinking it's, as you say, hopeful, promising, improving, like we've all said, um, do you expect them to be challenging the eight um, in, the, in a likely circumstance? I wouldn't put my money on it. I think um, I think there are probably some teams that are a little bit more experienced and stronger than them that will probably be uh, hunting the same positions as them. Um, like the teams we saw this year, the Knights, the Raiders, the Titans, uh, maybe even the Warriors, who knows, of the Tigers if things go right for them. But I, the Broncos will have to fight their way through all those teams. Uh, and I, I just I don't know if they're going to be quite tight enough next year to do it. They've got the potential, so they they could, but I would probably keep my money in my pocket. Mm. Um, one thing I, I know that you're a, a roster nerd almost as much as you are a goal co- a goal kicking nerd. I saw that Farnsworth missed one, by the way. Um, so I know. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's devastating. We spoke about this when the big signing was made, that David Fafita would move to the Titans on, on ridiculous money, frankly. Uh, a year into the future now, do you think the Broncos did the right thing by not engaging in a bidding war there and and trying to keep that, you know, one point whatever million to uh, 
you know, spruce up other parts of the roster and get the likes of Reynolds, Kurt Capewell, etc. Yes, I I think they made a good decision. Um, I think that um, as good as Safita has been, he's still playing um, probably less than Titans would like him to when he's playing off the bench. Um, and you know that'll I'm sure that'll correct for next season. I am happy to put my money on that, but. Um, at the, the price they got him for, you know, I still question it going forward, especially with some of the concerns they have over who's going to be playing in the halves and when. Um, and, and granted, they use those funds, as we said, to go out and get Reynolds, who looks like a good signing, I guess. Um, Cape Oil, same sort of thing. Um, and and then, of course, you consider Haas, who right now you'd have to say is, is miles in front of the feeder in terms of his talent and ability and fitness and all the rest of it and you know yes he's not locked down yet but um if they can lock him down on a, a reasonable term then you say well, absolutely that was the right move by the broncos all right let's move forward to i've been dreading this so let's move forward oh, to the cowboys <laughs> they've came 15th they came dead second last and uh friendy what's a what's a word to describe them lost yeah that that's apt miles well, the Broncos are hopeful. Uh, have the Cowboys is worrying. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Kieran, who sings that song? That I'm still lost and worried. Oh, I, I I don't know. It's a powder finger. Yeah, actually, that sounds about right. That does sound like I can hear Bernard Fanning's voice. Actually, yeah, that, that makes sense. They're from Townsville, aren't they? Pardon? They're from Townsville, Powderfinger, aren't they? Or North Queensland? No, they're Brisbane. They're Brisbane. They're uh, right near the Gabba at Stanley Street. Uh, Vulture Street, sorry. Um, yep. And they are a hot tip for reuniting for the grand final entertainment, just quietly, as the Brisbane city has been named uh, to host. This Today it was named, actually. Uh, Kieran, you're a Cowboys fan. What's the word to describe <laughs> their season? I had wanting, and I, I don't mean wanting much other than, uh, well, I don't mean wanting a win or, or wanting to scrap um, for teammates to win a game. I, I mean wanting that they left a lot to desire. Yeah. Mine is numbing. Like, it just kind of numbed me, the, the, the season. Like, there was a point um, where they made the top eight, and they were, they, I think it was like round 10 or so, they, they'd worked their way into the top eight. Jake Clifford had just learned how to kick a ball properly and it was it was going really well and even then i was just so numb to the whole thing like i didn't have any anything in me for any bravado or anything it was just like i'm just ready it was like a dragons fan this year i think i think dragons fans were ready for their team to drop out of the eight and i think i was ready for the cowboys to drop out of the eight i did not expect them to drop to 15th below the broncos that sucked but um, I'm still kind of numb to it. It didn't really bother me at all. Um, where it went wrong, uh, the roster has been heavily reliant on three people for a long time. And those three people particularly... So, previously, it was Tamalolo, Morgan, Thurston. Thurston retired. So, now it's Tamalolo, Holmes, Morgan. Now, Morgan's retired. So, that obviously took a chunk out of this season. Holmes is a $1 million winger. And as far as wingers go, isn't going that great anyway. And Tamalola looks tired. Uh, they don't have a match-winning halfback. They don't have any depth in the backs. They have a, a bunch of promising forwards, but I think they're rookies and need some time. Uh, so the, I think the roster has been a really, really key issue here. I think a lot of people are laying a lot of fault at the at the foot of Todd Payton. I 
don't at, at all. Uh, I like that he's the kind of guy that has a $1 million player and says, no, 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 he's a winger and puts him on the wing. Like, I, I respect that. That takes a lot of guts. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a, a $1 million prop, uh, sorry, a lock, and he's like, oh, is, he a, is he a lock, though? Is, that, is, is, is he a 60-minute lock, or is he a 45-minute lock, or is he a front rower, or is he a back rower? Like, he's, he's willing to try things, and I think he's sort of been shoehorned by poor roster choices over a number of years now that has led down this path. Um, you know, re-signing Lachlan Coote instead of throwing money at Kalen Ponga, not signing Brandon Smith, not signing Viliama Kikau. You know, like, there's a, they're like when they were juniors in your system, you know, uh, Jake Clifford gone, Dearden in, looks looks long-sighted, but in the short term, that hurts, you know. Um, so, roster issues is a big one. That's where it went wrong. The Shining Light is a tough one. Um if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Jeremiah Nanai. We've only seen a glimpse of him, but he looks like he has a really high ceiling. He's only 18 years old, very skillful, fast, strong, good footwork. Um, you know, there's a few good, like, teenagers, really. Like, you throw Hamaso, Griffin Neem, Helam Lukey, you can throw them into the same category. They all have pretty big ceilings. Um, I thought Ruben Cotter was really good. Um, for the five or six games that he played as well. In, in those five or six games, he probably was the Cowboys' best player. In terms of future chances, there, as I mentioned, there's some green shoots, but I'm expecting another bottom four finish next year. And I think with the Tigers, I think they are genuinely a wooden spoon threat this year. Like, I mean, they came second last this year, but they were, they were never a wooden spoon threat. Um, it sounds odd, but the Bulldogs were that far behind. Uh, Cowboys are genuinely a wooden spoon threat next year because at least the Bulldogs are moving in the right direction or so it would seem. And it will be interesting to see how much patience the club has with Peyton. I want to pick your brain on this one, Kieran. I know we're cheating a little bit, but I know you're a Cowboys fan. Does does all of that ring true to you? Uh, Yeah, I I had exactly what you said about Peyton. Um, Being spot on, I think he's been hard done by with the roster and I, I like a lot that he's experimented with the side it does as you say show a lot of uh bravery to do that um <clears throat> especially when the the board or fans anyone is um sort of yelling at you that tamalolo needs to play 60 minutes he's our, our star player he needs to be out there making two 250 meters every week for us to have a chance of winning um it was probably always going to be an experimental season it, it looks like we were going to make possibly the eight at one stage that's that's probably why ha- um fans uh, um are a little bit harsher on him at the moment because we looked like so promising we looked like we were going to get there um at one stage but yeah i, I would agree with uh, a lot of what you said um jeremiah and i uh, looks a, a good prospect but yeah a lot of young players that are going to need time um i think we'll finish quite low again are they wooden spooners I mean, I, I said the Cowboys and Tigers before. I don't know between those two. Um, sorry, wearing. wearing. Um, yeah, it'll be between us um, or the, the Tigers, I think. Uh, I hope it's not the Cowboys, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, let's hope it's the Tigers. Stupid Tigers. <laughs> um, and the Wooden Spooners this year, they're getting kind of used to it. Although they came second last last year, it was the Bulldogs. Uh, Miles, what is a word to describe the Bulldogs season? I had dubious. Hmm. Um, do you care to expand? <laughs> well, for a little bit. Well, they're not my team, so I, I won't take too much time. But I just wonder if the gains they made this season 
and the signings they've made for next season, barring Matt Burton, are really as good as everyone says they are. Interesting. It will be curious to see how that goes. Friendy, what's uh, do you have a word or a sound? <laughs> <laughs> I did think about the sound, uh, but I do just have a word, and it's Gus. Gus. Uh, you, in, Gus. In, Gus, in Gus we trust? In Gus we trust. So for next year, I think, yeah, he, he's the big inclusion for them. And I think he'll take him to yeah much higher places over the next few years than the wooden spoon, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, my word is... I tried to do a fart sound, but I couldn't in my arm. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, shit. I'm just going to go with smelly. Um, I'll, I'll take the lead off, off you with that one, Friendy. It, it's, it's a, it was a bad... And like, I expected them to be, to be a bit better, like, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th. Uh, no, they were, they were really bad. Very smelly. <laughs> Kieran... Uh, <laughs> were they as embarrassing as as I was just then? I had uh, well, I, I'm not sure. That's a, another close run thing. But I, I had underdone. Um, I think coming into the season, they had uh, still not a very good roster. Um, so yeah, I, and I tend to side with Miles a bit. I, I don't know that they're going to be too much better next season. I know that they've bought some quality players, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. Um, but to be fair to Trent Barrett, things weren't quite right um, to start with this season with multiple fullbacks and an ailing roster. Um, but Trent Barrett did, however, bring in Kyle Flanagan with high hopes and that didn't eventuate. Uh, their, their entire team experienced a multitude of changes throughout the season as they struggled to put up a fight from start to finish most games. Um, and then age was really against them with a young and experienced side that, that lacked direction in the halves. Um, shining lights. Um, I think that, to be honest, I, I, I liked a lot of what I saw. Of, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right, but Shope um, at centre towards the end of the season. Mm. Uh, he looks quite promising. I think that's... Um, hopefully it's not just a, a player that's coming to first grade and is excited to play and so shows off his best sort of footy then and then kind of tails off. We'll see what happens. But uh, I liked what I saw so far, or I have liked what I've seen so far. Um, future chances, well, with the additions of Adokar, Burton, Dufty, Naden, Pangai Jr., Vaughan, plus the release of a lot of expired players, things are, are looking on the upper trajectory. Whether it's finals footies or not, only time would tell, but my prediction is they won't make the eight. I think between ninth to, well, probably not ninth, sorry, I'll, I'll say from 11th to, oh, 10th to 13th. Yeah, so that's interesting because that's, that's where I, I had them this year. Um, so... Even with Burton uh, and a bunch of other quality players, like you mentioned, do you, do you um do you think Burton just slots straight into the halves, or do you think he's actually uh like a centre now? Like is is he like he's been that good at the centre for the Panthers? Is that is that just a misdirection, or do you do you think that's his permanent home? Um, that's interesting because the Bulldogs could desperately do with a, a half of Burton's quality, but you probably don't. Uh, if you're looking longer term, I don't know. I don't know what Trent Barrett's thinking. I, I would like to see him go back to the halves, personally. I, I think he's, his kicking game is phenomenal. Um, he's got one of the, the better <laughs> boots in the competition. Um, that And he's left-footed, isn't he, as well? I yes. Think. Yeah. yeah, so he's got that that left foot um, addition to, to the Bulldogs. That that would be a, quite a weapon. So I'd like to see him in the halves. I think he's been f- really good this season at centre. Nearly said it again. Um yeah, I, I, I think uh, um, five eighth or half back makes the most sense. 
we should we should have some sort of competition where like what's the show that Ennis is on? It's like the Sunday rap or the big league rap or something um, on Sunday nights. Uh, every time he says phenomenal, we count it and then we try and say it more uh, individually the following podcast. So like you know if he says it six times, then each of us has to try and beat six. Can we do that? Uh, that make <laughs> that, it sound like, natural. And try and, yeah, try and blend it if you can. <laughs> like, you know, Shane Tronk, phenomenal. Just <laughs> amazing work rate. I'll, I'll throw this question to everybody. I'll start with you, Kieran. Um, Addo Carr comes in. He's better paid than Dufty. I think we've talked about this before, but just very quickly, who's the starting fullback in round one? Dufty. Dufty. Freddie? Yeah, without doubt, Dufty. Yeah, and Miles? Dufty. So it's interesting that... See, I, I agree with you guys. It's interesting that Adokar's on all that cash. It'll let, Let's see how that all pans out. But I tend to agree with you guys that uh, they're heading in the right direction. Uh, but I've learned after this year that maybe it won't be as fast as we all thought. Guys, thank you very much for all those thoughts. Uh, I thought you all did brilliantly uh we'll have a bit less of a workload next week we'll only be two teams uh eliminated um so we'll talk about the knights and the roosters next week um (laughs) (laughs) that's that's brave that is bold that is bold Now, let's talk about uh the the finals and miles you've suggested this one uh as an idea which was Basically, uh, we have we know who's playing against who now, and we know the basic roadmap as well to the grand final. Who are the big winners and losers from from this final series? Miles, um, if if you'd like to start us off, uh, I know that you uh, you mentioned off air that you can't think of any real winners, but um, so is is there someone that's lost then uh, with with the way that thing, the the cards have fallen? Yeah, I think the Roosters are the losers here. I think they would have, um, I think they would have relished the double chance, the opportunity to have that, um, and the opportunity to return a few players to fitness as well over the next few weeks. Um, but instead, they've got to play the Titans now in, in week one in the finals, and um, they'll be playing in front of a heavily pro Gold Coast crowd. Obviously, despite the fact that the the um, the the game is up in, I think it's up in Townsville actually, um, and it is technically a Roosters home game. Um, but also the, the Titans ran them real close, if you'll remember, about halfway through the season. I think there was only one point in that. It was the Sam Walker field goal. So I don't know. I, I, is the is this thing in the air for a Roosters upset? Maybe. But I, I still think that they would have really liked to have had two two bites at the cherry and, and, and gotten as, as fit as they possibly could. And um, they, they've unfortunately just missed out on that by uh, points differential um, to the Seagulls. They got rolled over uh, last season. They did have two bites of the cherry last season, and they got rolled over twice uh, and all the way out. Um, so they would definitely have benefited from that this year, though. It's fair to say with their injury toll. And to be honest, even if they do get rolled out by the Titans uh, this weekend, I still think Trent Robinson's coach of the year. I think I think that what they've managed to achieve as a club to come fifth at the end of a regular season. And, you know, to beat the Eels, the Eels are a pretty good team. They shat themselves towards the end of the year. But, like, they're a pretty good team. And for the Roosters to beat them um, with the crazy injury toll they've had is just astounding to me. Um, So, yeah, interesting call. Friendy, 
winners and losers. How do you see it? Well, I've sort of cheated a little bit here. I think the real winners will be revealed after this weekend. So whoever wins the two big games, uh, the I guess, are they the qualifying final or something like that? I don't know. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so the one versus four and the two versus three, whoever gets the week off, uh, they'll be in the grand final for me. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll be the winners and they'll reveal themselves this weekend. Okay, and and uh, on the on the flip side of that, are you suggesting that whoever loses the elimination final? I guess that would be the case. Yeah, yep. Because then they'd have to play another week, and then they'd probably meet the the opposite of the other side. That's how I think it's going to play out anyway. Yeah. So the way I'm I'm looking at it is, I actually think the Seagulls are the winners. Like, I think they've got the best draw, if you will. Now, obviously, they start off by playing against the Storm. That's pretty tough, but. They and at Sunshine Coast, which is actually a, a, a full blown home ground advantage for the Storm these days. Um, I think they have the game that could break the Storm, though. And it was interesting listening to and thanks for the recommendation, Friendy, the uh, fantastic Maddie Johns and Cooper Cronk um, podcast. Yeah. I haven't actually watched it yet, but I've listened to the whole thing. It was it was tremendous, and listening to them talk about the fact that. You know, the Storm didn't run away against the Seagulls last time they played, despite the fact they had 60% of the ball. Um, so, if, if anyone can break the Storm, it could be them. And, if, of course, if, if it is them that breaks the Storm, they get that week off. So, they, they win straight away. But even if they don't manage it in the first week, they'll have a battered Roosters or a plucky Titans to face off against in, round, in week two, which basically, the way I see it, puts them in a red-hot position to be at least preliminary finals, which I know the top four, that sounds like a bare minimum, right? But I think that they've actually got the easiest road into the preliminary finals out of all the teams, uh, apart from maybe the Panthers, because the Panthers are red hot. On the flip side of that, I think the Rabbitohs are the biggest losers. Now, they obviously get a second bite of the cherry. Um, so, you know, to Miles's point, uh, the Roosters would have liked that. Of course, they don't. The Rabbitohs have got it. But they are in a situation where they come up against the Panthers, who are arguably the most informed team in the comp right now, the best rested the whole bit. Um, if they lose, which is likely, they have a tough match against the most likely winner of the Eels Knights, which I think is the Eels. So the Eels have shown recently that, they, that they're not going to be pushed over. They, they took on the Storm a couple of weeks ago and beat them. So that will give the Eels some confidence. They've also rested a bunch of their their best players last week too. So the likely situation is the Rabbitohs lose to the Panthers and then play against a pretty confident eel side in the second week of the finals, assuming they beat the Knights. Then, if they manage to do that, then they have to play against the Storm of the Sea Eagles who would have won the qualifying final. So I think that's a super hard road. I reckon that's the hardest road into the GF. So the Rabbitohs are the biggest losers for me and the Sea Eagles the biggest winner. Kieran, how do you see it? Um, I have the Rabbitohs as the biggest losers as well, but I, uh, I'm i a little... I'm not, not loser, but on the side of loser, but I think that the Panthers could have a very tough road. They could play potentially the top four teams um, if they make the grand final throughout the final series. Uh, and I would just wonder... Well, I don't really wonder because they're such a class side, but it could potentially prove too much um, come grand final day. Uh, and then I was going to say that the the winner of the uh, the Storm Seagulls game is the big winner because they'll go straight through to the prelim. And then I, I haven't really looked at who they they could play in the prelim, but it won't be the, the Panthers, obviously. And then 
um, they, they would have already played each other. Uh, so even if it's the Rabbitohs, the Rabbitohs are without Latrell. I think that they're the, the big winner. Yeah, good call. Uh, thanks very much for your thoughts, guys. We're going to dive into those four finals matches. And Friendy, we're going to start off on Friday evening, isn't it? We don't have any Thursday evening games this week. It, it starts off on the Friday. It's between the Storm, first place Storm, and the fourth place Manly Sea Eagles. Now, a Storm would obviously be the red-hot favourites here. They're playing at the Sunshine Coast, which is their home ground. How do you, how do you see this one playing out, Friendy? Well, firstly, Bo, I'm yeah, I'm so excited as we spoke about earlier, especially for this clash. I think it'll be really uh, a big game between two really contrasting styles of teams. So, in terms of personnel changes, there's not really much to talk about tonight. But I think Ryan Pappenhausen, whilst he's not a personnel change his form is almost as good as one so i think last week he bounced back uh to form for the melbourne storm and i think he'll be a really uh big player in the final series as a whole i think with these two sides so like i said they play contrasting styles and i think coming out of yardage is where it's really there's a real difference so you saw last time manly played melbourne and manly will really try and shift the ball early uh they'll try and make um those two, three passes and get some one-on-one tackles and build momentum off the back of that, that's when guys like um, their forward pack will come in and then Tom and Daly Cherry Evans will get on the back of the momentum and try and create for them. So I I really do love how Tom Trebojevic plays and especially at the moment, I think what he's doing really well is uh, identifying two things. And I think the first thing is a quick play the ball. Any quick play the ball, Tom gets the ball. He's all over it. what he also does is identifies either a lazy, tired, or someone who's out of position at, at the A defender, which is the first defender off the ruck. So he will yeah, jump on the back of that quick play the ball and just completely, whether it's inside, outside, doesn't matter, all ends up he beats that A defender and then manly score points on the back of that inevitably. So I think that's how they'll look to play, whereas Melbourne, they're quite conservative coming out of yardage generally. Um, as a rule, especially in final series, uh, Bellamy likes to play the percentages. Um, I think they'll look to get their outside backs in early and also their forwards just banging one out off the back of that. Then they'll look for two things, depending on who's at dummy half at the time. I think Brandon Smith, he will look to jump out and run whenever he can. Harry Grant's a bit more of that Cameron Smith style where he, he manipulates the markers and the ruck and gets guys in behind the markers to create a quick play the ball. And again, once Melbourne have momentum, they will try and use Hughes and Munster and and their classy sort of outside backs like Pappenhausen and and guys like that are big, strong Justin Olam as well off the back of that momentum. So it's really a wrestle for momentum. I think whoever gets that um, will be the likely winners. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go with Melbourne. Um, I just think Craig Bellamy in a prelim final, uh, he's, he's just too good. Um, I think they've been one of the best defensive sides for the last 14 or 15 years. I think they've been in the top two or three sides each year for that period. And in my um, opinion, uh, big games is one on the back of defence. And I I think Melbourne will be doing that. I think they'll be pushing up um, very quickly and trying to limit Tom's space and sort of where he can run. And yeah, I think Melbourne and I think it'll be an absolute classic. That was one question I was going to ask you. Um, in the in the podcast that we mentioned, I think it was Cronk mentioned that he would just load up on defenders the side that Trevojevic is. So if he's Pappenhausen, he's saying, look, Trevojevic is on the left. 
yep, let's throw as many defenders more than we need ordinarily in that direction. Is that something that you think could work? I mean, obviously he thinks it could work. Who are we to say? We haven't played first grade Gus, but, um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, do you like, do you think that's sensible? Because I mean, you know, the city will still have other threats like Daily Cherry Evans, for example, and Jason Saab. Yeah, exactly. What, what I think they might do if they do do that, it'd be probably just one extra number, maybe two Pappenhausen would slot in the other side as a, defender to plug a hole so they play with the fullback in the line if that's what they want to do um it, it's certainly an option but uh, as well Trebojevic he's obviously their biggest threat that would obviously make him their biggest decoy as well so mm-hmm. if he's on the right say and you've got him and Cherry Evans out there does that open it up for Foran and Schuster on the left or um yeah how does that all work I, he's going to have his hands for Pappenhausen organizing that defensive line but I think he can do it and I think I did hear, um, I've got to give credit to Justin Horro uh, on a podcast. He's on one um, that I listened to, and he was talking about how the Melbourne players, they will do anything for the side, for the system, for the game plan. So whether it's Christian Welch having a two-metre run, but it's angled to the right post so they can set up the next play to come back left, whereas Manly... They're, they've all got a bit of football in them. So Schuster likes to play with the ball. Jake Trebojevic likes to play with the ball. Cherry, Marty Tapau runs. He loses his like <laughs> he loses his radar sometimes. He, he goes sideways. And um, Melbourne will do anything, whether that's defensively or in attack, um, for the team and for the system. So I think the simpler they keep it, the better it'll be for them when defending someone like Tom. Very good analysis. Thank you, Friendy. And a storm tip from you. I yep. also have a storm tip. Kieran, how do you see it? I'll say storm. Yeah, I'll say storm. It does feel close, though, doesn't it? Miles, what, what do you say? Storm by double digits. Double digits? Yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, so, what, what, what gives you that sort of confidence? I... Uh, I uh, question whether the Seagulls... Um, whether this Seagulls team, despite the experience, is in, knows what they're in for um, in terms of finals. And I think Craig Bellamy will really want to make a statement. Yeah, he does love a statement, doesn't he? Uh, we thought he was going to make it against the Eels, uh, and it did not. But So maybe he's saving his statement for qualifying final one. Let's, uh, let's move forward to elimination final one. This is at... Queensland Country Bank Stadium in Townsville. They'll be very excited up there. It's the Roosters and the Titans. I'll take this one. Basically, for the Roosters, the, the big news is that they get Jared Wairia Hargreaves and Victor Radley back, uh, and they'll be well-rested as well. So that could be, like, you know, in terms of their roles, it's pretty straightforward for them. So I don't think uh, getting out of sync with the game plan or whatever will be an issue for them. I think I think they'll be fine. The Titans have Proctor returning, which is good. Fafita will stay on the bench. There's still no sign of AJ Brimson, but Jaden Campbell has shown to be a fairly decent deputy uh, in that spot. In terms of game plans and how it'll be won, uh, the Roosters, <laughs> with the patchwork that they've had to do on that, on that team... For me, it's keep it simple, stupid, isn't it? It is just, you know, play the long game against the Titans. The Titans seem like the kind of team that could get bored 
uh, quite easily uh, if if things aren't going their way. So if Lamb and Hutchison and when Walker comes onto the field, uh, if they're kicking into corners, if they're if they're playing percentages, much like Friendy, you expect the Storm to do, uh, I would suggest that the Roosters will have some success, and that will be their game plan. Uh, I would expect you know they, they'll get good yardage out of guys like. Obviously, Tupo, uh, Tedesco, uh, Ikevalu is pretty strong in that area. Josh Morris will drop back and help out. Their forward pack is excellent, and they have real edge threats. So, when they get into good ball, they have points in them, the Roosters. But it, it'll be the foundations that will kill the Titans if the Roosters are to prevail. For the Titans, it's probably the flip side of that. Uh, if the Roosters are all about, you know, the Drew Hutchison style of play it safe and control the game and having a guy like Sam Walker on the bench because he, while a controlling half, is new and exciting and can throw long passes and likes to do that. um, It looks like they're going for a safe option, a semi-final option. The Titans are putting Tyrone Peachy at 5-8. They are just going, okay, I see that you're going with your set standard job rolls, we're going to throw chaos in at 5 eighth and see what happens. And you know what? Against the Warriors, it seems to do really, really well. Jaden Campbell, while not being chaotic, is exciting. And Tyrone Peachy, if you get him out in front of the ball, you get him at first receiver off a quick play of the ball, or you get him earlier ball over the advantage line instead of being stuck behind a block play on the third or fourth pass... Tyrone Peach is the kind of guy that can just create enough chaos that it could break the Roosters apart. I don't expect Tyrone Peach to be the man of the match necessarily, but I do expect him to be an indicator of the type of game the Titans are going to play. So the Roosters will be all about percentages. The Titans will be all about chaos. They'll be they'll be using that ball. We could see some chip and chases. We could see some long spiral cutout passes. Um, and I think that sort of... That sort of... Uh, clashing of styles could actually make for a really interesting game and it kind of makes it hard to tip so like you look at i think the roosters should win but i think it i think that this particular match is the is the danger game i think this is the one that could be an upset um the roosters have had a long season it has been tough they've just dropped their half back back to the bench like they're They've, they've hit just a rough patch at the wrong time. Too many injuries. It's all starting to pile up. The Titans are breath of fresh air last week. They'll be confident. They're playing in Queensland. They'll be excited. And when guys like David Fafita, Tino Fasua Maliawi, Mo Fodawaka, Tyrone Peachy, Jaden Campbell, when those guys are excited and confident, then anything could happen. So my tip is the Roosters, but not with a lot of confidence. Kieran, what's yours? Yeah, I've got the Roosters as well. Uh, I just think they've been that resilient all year, and Titans are one of the least resilient sides uh, with their defence. Uh, obviously, well noted. It's not the best. Friendy, what what do you think? I'll be going with the Roosters. I think they're one of the most mentally tough clubs I've seen ever in my life of watching football. Uh, I think Victor Radley's a huge inclusion for them this week as he allows the halves to um, play out the back of shape and, and Victor almost plays first receiver exclusively for them. So Jared Ware Hargrave's back. Yeah, I'll be going the Chooks. And Miles, who do you like? 
Yeah, I think Trent Robinson and the Roosters will be a little classy for the the Titans on this occasion. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all going to plan. That's exactly what they'll do. But I, I don't know. It could be a really good game that one. Um, speaking of, could be a really good game. It could also be a blowout potentially. It's also from Queensland Country Bank Stadium. The Townsville people have a doubleheader of finals the first one elimination final one the second one qualifying final two it is between the panthers and the rabbitos kieran can the rabbitos stop the panthers uh i guess i may as well already answer that no um <laughs> mitch mitch kenny comes onto the bench uh, for the injured tyrone may um and given the versatility of several panthers players i, I like this move from ivan having a, a second hooker on the bench of kenny's quality uh, however, with Eisenhuth also still injured, I think there's also possibly a lack of other replacement contenders, so that could see Kenny lose his place uh, in the later rounds. Um, I have as how the Panthers will win. I think with the loss of Luttrell for the, the Rabbitohs, uh, it's such a huge loss. And then uh, you've got the best player on the other team in Nathan Cleary, the other best player in the world, arguably, um, on the other team in Nathan Cleary. Uh, and I think that the forward pack dominance that the Panthers are, are likely to have over the Rabbitohs, that's just going to create time and space for Cleary to dictate the pace of the game if, if he wants to speed it up and, and turn it into turn up the momentum and, and get the Panthers really on a roll on. I think he'll do that and will be able to do that with relative ease. Uh, if he wants to slow it down and give his team a bit of a breather, he'll be able to do that as well. Um, I've got like a few little sort of tactical things that I think the Panthers will try. One of them, Cleary, I really like his crossfield kick that he does that lands between the centre and the third defender in from the sideline. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on the pod before, but it proved fruitful in the prelim last year. Um, they nearly scored two tries off it. They, they did score one uh, from Tyrone May um, off a Cleary kick that was uh, between the centre and either the 5-8 or the second rower. Uh, it just causes confusion between the defending centre and 5-8th or second row defending next to them. And then Friendy pointed out last week on the pod um, with the Eels, they're quite different with Marnie, sometimes cutting to the C defender, making it easier for the slide defence. But the Panthers comparatively are a little bit more direct um, and don't try that cutout ball from dummy half as much. Uh, and they even try to use the man playing the ball to back up for the next play with a, a charge, which sucks the markers in and, and can leave gaps for the outside men from a pass or offload through the ruck. Um and then, yeah, I think the, the another big thing that most people will be thinking is the link play of Yo um, that allows him to, to pass to other forwards or pass to Luai or Cleary. From, and it just uh, allows them to go from sideline to sideline. I think Joey was saying they're the, the best exponents of going from sideline to sideline in two plays. Um, and it will heavily test the Rabideau's defensive structures with Gagai known to be prone to defensive lapses. He's, he's in for a big night without Latrell's organisation. Um, how the Rapidos will win. I have the loss of Latrell is obviously huge. Um, not only has he been brilliant individually this season, but it's the loss of an additional playmaker at the back. So there's no option to have two playmakers on one side of the ruck and another playmaker on the other side. Um, I also heard on another podcast the other week that when Reynolds touches the ball more than Walker against top eight teams, the Rapidos win 30% more often. Um, so I do believe Reynolds has to be the general um, especially directing the uh, the Rabbitohs from deeper inside their own half, but Cody's skills and form really came to the fore the closer they got to the try line, uh, get to the try line, and against a backpedaling defence. Um, however, his stats this season are incredible, and, and back out and out the back of shape, he has a beautiful right to left pass to Johnston, 
to put Johnson over as he has done numerous times a season. I think the Rabbitohs really have to clean up their discipline. They had a 11 and two count against them in round 23 against the Panthers, where they had a 12 nil lead, and then the Panthers surged home. And uh, if you're giving away an 11 and two penalty count again, that's going to really hurt you, um, especially against such a dominant Panther side. Uh, Murray needs to be utilized as the link player that pays dividends for Yo with the Panthers. Murray, at his brilliant best, um, often goes deep into the line, which can cause defenders to overcommit. Um, and suck in numbers, creating space on the outside for the soft hands of Walker to create havoc. Uh, a beautiful example of this is also in the prelim final last year. Murray went deep into the line, uh, and Walker gave the ball to Murray, wrapped around, and it sucked in. Um, it caused, sorry, uh, Liam Martin inside Cleary to slide outwards, and then that caused Cleary to come into to Murray. He fell for the, the wraparound. He wasn't sure what was going on, caused confusion in the defense. And then, yeah, Walker got the ball on the wraparound from Murray and put uh, Corey Allen over, who some brilliant soccer skills. If, if you do want to go back and watch that again, it was really awesome, not the best pass from Walker. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, the kicking game of Adam Reynolds is going to be huge. Um, even if his forward pack isn't dominating, um, he still has the, the um, ability to pull off some freakish kicks. So uh, the Panthers are going to really have to be on their game to pressure him if, if the Rabbitohs are, are thinking they're really, a, well, they're going to be thinking they're a red-hot chance. And, um, yeah, they need to shut down Adam Reynolds. Uh, I think he's a, a big, big key for the Rabbitohs. Uh, I do believe the Panthers are morals for this, even with, uh, even if they're up against a, a Wayne Bennett coach side, though, so I'm tipping the Panthers. Two things that I found interesting, and that was really good analysis. Thanks, Kieran. Two things that I found interesting there was that you said that Nathan Cleary was possibly the greatest player in the world, but the way that people reacted to our props list, you'd think that Junior Paulo was. It was just like, out of this. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and uh, and secondly, I found that really curious that you that you mentioned uh, that when Reynolds touches the ball more than Walker, they're more successful yeah. against top teams so basically in walker's case it's less is more like you you kind of want you want reynolds to be um creating the space creating the opportunities for walker to execute is that is that basically what you're reading there yeah um the guy actually said it was on uh, about even and I, I do think that that's what he was kind of leaning towards but he's got a bit of a bias um against the Rabbitohs, so i think he was also saying he was giving all due respect to cody walker but he was just yeah he was um alluding to the facts that as i've said as well that um uh reynolds needs to do more of the work deeper inside um the Rabbitohs have direct the team around create get to those spots at the back of shape um and then give the ball to cody walker to kind of do his magic that he does I think that is the interesting storyline if the Rabbitohs can win because the Panthers, as you rightly say, they're probably the biggest favourite this week. Um, I'm going to go for the Panthers here. Uh, Friendy, who do you like? Yeah, I, I agree with Kieran. I think Penrith are morals in this one. I just think defensively as well, they're, they're just too classy. They they broke down the South's uh, really good left uh, left side attack last time. I think all they sort of did was their, their A and B defender just slid really early in that uh, everyone else that gave everyone else the time to slide out as well and South just ran out of room so that's sort of their their one trick at the moment and I think Penrith will cover that pretty well and they'll win uh, quite comfortably it's interesting that you mentioned Justin Horro uh, said that the Storm were that team that would do anything for the system and if there's any team in the comp that most resembles that 
it'd probably be the Panthers. They're the, they're the ones yep. that they're, they're, they're so fit. Like even their props yeah. like Leota and Fisher Harris are just like super fit. Um, yep. and they, they're and all that in gives that. them the ability to do the, the A and B slide. Yeah. Yep. And they're all either in the sweet spot of their career in their sort of mid twenties or, or even on the way to that. So I think, um, after a grand final loss last year, they would have learned a lot from that. A lot of them have played, uh, origin now i uh, won a series with that and nathan he's just oh, he's my favorite in the comp at the moment he's he's outstanding he's the conductor and i think uh they'll be on the back of him and and win well another vote for cleary over paulo uh miles <laughs> <laughs> uh are you also going for the panthers yeah i am um the, the, i guess the one thing that uh should scare the panthers maybe a little bit is how recently wayne bennett got to look at them um I think he he will be certainly making a few adjustments based off how the Rabbitohs gave away that game to the Panthers just a few weeks ago. So that could add a little bit of intrigue. It could indeed. We um we often give Wayne Bennett a lot of credit on this show, but that's because he deserves it. Um, he's possibly the greatest mm. coach ever. So, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, you're quite right about that. Miles, you, you have the, the last game. It's uh, Elimination Final 2. It is on Sunday, and it is between the Eels and the Knights. Now, uh, the Eels, as we mentioned very recently, this is at, at Brown Park in Rockhampton, by the way. Um, the Eels very recently beat the Storm. They pretty much tanked like Kyrgios style last week against the Panthers. The Knights, <laughs> the Knights did not tank, but they still lost very poorly to the Broncos. So uh, what's, what's the form guide on this one? Well, fortunately for the Knights, um, they're going to be getting Daniel Sifidi back, who is uh, maybe the most important forward. Um, I'll leave that one to friend to, to call, but um, certainly a very big in for them. Um, but that should be about it uh, for them. Um, David Clemmer and, and Tyson Brazil, who I think were both questionable, will play. Um, and it's a similar sort of a story for the Eels. Regan Campbell-Gillard, Clint Gutherson, both uh, question marks over them in the lead-up. But they will probably both play. Uh, don't shoot the messenger if they don't. Um, but look, uh, the Eels have a, a number of players, I think, who we've pointed to on this podcast as uh, well-known for their subpar performances in big games. Um uh, apologies to the great Paulo for including him here, but um, he certainly fall on that list for me at least um, for his state of origin performances. And uh, Gutherson was was pretty poor last last year in that one series he played as well. And, and Moses on debut just a few months ago um, was 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 rightly pointed out as having had a pretty ordinary game. Uh, on the other hand, the, the last time these two teams played, the Eels did a lot of their work early. Uh, I think they scored about five tries to two in, in terms of first half, second half split, and they uh, smashed the Knights open um, effectively into the game at half time. Uh, score was 22 0. Um, if your math isn't adding up there, that's because Moses missed a bunch of kicks. But um, look, so I, I, no doubt I think they'll look to possess plenty of the, the footy early on. Um, probably hunt some re- repeat sets and keep the Knights camped in their own half. Uh, and, and try and score one or two or maybe three or four tries, put it away as early as possible. But, um, yeah, look, my, while my game analysis is probably not as sharp as the rest of the folks here, I, I will give you a margin. Um, I think the Eels will win by about eight, if you're asking me. I am asking you. Uh, one thing I, I also am looking at there, do you have confidence that the Eels, obviously, you, you think they're going to win. Not by a huge margin, though. Do you think it's because they're, they're basically putting 
a rookie right edge in Penasini and Hayes Dunstar up against Bradman Best on Kalen Ponga's best side. Uh, do you think? Do you think that could create some uh, some opportunities for the Knights? I suppose. Well, it could. I mean, um, Bradman would have to prove that to me. I, he's, I, I hadn't realised he'd played this year. Um, all due respect, uh, obviously he's been hurt for a large chunk of the season, so there is that to consider. But, um, you know, Pongas could certainly um, cause some danger out there. But um, Best really needs to have a, a good showing based on where we thought he was at at the beginning of last season to now is worlds apart. And obviously he's a big man and, and it's a, it was a, um, a crawling injury for him at the, the start of the season, but he really needs to, uh, to step up if he wants the kind of money that I'm, I'm sure he, he sees in his future. Or, or the rep jersey that uh, that might well present itself in future as well. He is still a young man. Um, I, too, am tipping the Eels. I, th- I feel pretty strongly about this one. Like I mentioned, I, I do think that right edge will be where the Knights are looking, as in Bradman Best's side, Callum Ponga's side, down that left side for the Knights attacking. Um, but I do think the Eels are a very strong chance. Kieran, who do you like? Yeah, I've gone all the favourites. I've got the Eels as well. Now, Friendy, I don't think I have the touch of God. I don't think I can make the Knights win for you. Um, <laughs> but do do you agree that that would probably be their 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 mode of attack? So just pepper uh, the Bradman best side down that left side. Yeah, I think that's probably the logical option. Although I would say that young uh, Penasini, um, as I sort of said a couple of weeks ago, he, he looks a real player of the future. I think he's got some real talent there. So that'll be a good battle, him and uh, Bradman. Um, what I do think is for the Knights to win, they'll need obviously the pack to at least finish even with the Eels pack or, or something like that. And our kicking game needs to be spot on. We, we need to play the game up at uh, Parramatta's end of the field. And I think Clifford in particular, his long kicking game, I'd really like to see him kicking if we're, say, 30 metres out or something like that. Um, Pierce, he, he can do the short kicking stuff, I think. Between them, they've got to work that out. Um, but if they can do that, i give us a real chance. The one thing the Eels... Everyone's tipping the Eels, and I can totally understand that, and, and I can see why... Newcastle haven't played great at all recently, uh, even with winning and everything. But with Parramatta, I think before that Melbourne game, they were going like absolute busted. So mm-hmm. everyone seemed to have forgotten that. Uh, everyone's also commented that Melbourne weren't going that well recently, uh, given a high training load. And I think, yeah, I, I do give the Knights a slight chance. Um, that's probably more heart than head. And I'll go the Knights by one. Good, good on you. Who's getting that field goal? Is it is it Piercy or is it is it DSAF? Oh, mate, anyone. Um, <laughs> I think as, as long as we can get Kalen the ball in the positions that he likes getting the ball, then I, I think we're a real chance. But yeah, I think Piercy would be the logical option for the field goal. Um, he got one, knocked one over the other week, and I think we can scrape to a, a victory in, a, in actually a low-scoring game. I think that's the only way we win. I think if it's high-scoring, Parramatta will run away with it. How good would the story be if it was Connor Watson knocking over the field goal, falls in love with Newcastle all over again, despite <laughs> despite the fact that it's happening at Brown Park, Rockhampton, and backflips on the contract with the Roosters and just says, you've got me, I'm in. 
Wait, would that, <laughs> would that, would that, better if Kurt Mann um, went to Bondi instead. <laughs> <laughs> Connor Watson can play right center, can't he? Like, that'll be fine. Um, <laughs> guys, Connor they- can do anything. <laughs> guys, thank you so much, as always, for your, uh, for your knowledge and for your predictions. Uh, let's talk about bowl predictions, though. Um, mine is that Ruben Garrick will score, will continue his point scoring blitz, and I think he will score two tries against the comparatively weak Storm right edge defense. So I expect that, uh, you know, because George Jennings at the moment on that right side with uh, with Raven Smith in the centers, um, you touched on this a couple of times, Friendy, that you think they'd be strengthened by having Nico Hines at center and, and Raven Smith on the wing. I agree. Um, and I think the Seagulls will attack that. And I think Garrick will score two tries. Uh, Friendy, what, what's your bold prediction? I don't mind that one, Bo. I think that's a, a good shout, actually. Uh, my bold prediction is four fullbacks across the weekend will score. Four fullbacks across the stripe, uh, and Jaden Campbell to score all four. Uh, never mind. Um, and <laughs> look, it's, probably, it's probably more likely Tom Travoyevich, to be fair. Uh, he'll just like, oh, I feel like scoring now. It's probably about that time. And off he goes. Uh, Miles, what is your bold prediction? Well, uh, sorry, friend, but I have Mitchell Moses raising his State of Origin demons with two tries in a narrow Eels win, if you can call eight points narrow. Yeah, I'd, I'd call that relatively narrow. It's certainly a game up to the, like, the last five minutes or so, so that's narrow enough. Uh, and Mitchell Moses with two try assists, uh, I Yeah, absolutely. He's the chief playmaker. That makes sense. Uh, Kieran, what's your bold prediction? Um, I've got at least three bench forwards will score a try this weekend. Oh, uh, is, is there anyone in particular that you like the look of? Um, well, there's plenty of quality, yeah. Uh, Papali, uh, Pangai Jr., Martin, Fafida, even Lawton, I don't mind, to, to jig a try. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, actually, now that you've listed all those names, you're, you're dead right. Guys like P- Pangai Jr. and Fafida on the bench, that's um, that's a good call. Um, obviously, is Bryce Cartwright on the bench as well? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's happening. Brody Jones, Bryce Cartwright. It's on, uh, guys. Thanks so much. Time for shout outs. Uh, I'm gonna shout out, and this is this is interesting. We're talking about that podcast with Matthew Johns and and Cooper Cronk, and, and they were talking about Tom Dravojevic. And at one point, they talked about who would you compare him to. And before he, before Matthew Johns even said who he thought. I was thinking exactly the same person, Brett Mullins. I don't know if you guys are old enough or whatever to remember Brett Mullins, but Brett Mullins, I am. You are, <laughs> like, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was incredible in the mid nineties uh, for the Canberra Raiders, who were a red hot team. And one of my earliest rugby league, like first grade rugby league memories, is um, kind of tentatively going for the Broncos. This is like my deep, dark secret. Uh, I was always a Cowboys <laughs> man in 1995, but before the Cowboys came in the competition, I moved to Brisbane in 1994. I had to go for somebody. The Broncos were my team for like six months. And that sort of carried over into 1995 as the Raiders and the Broncos were unbeaten into like round six or seven. And I'm thinking, yep, we got this. The Broncos are going to win. And the Raiders just shut them out. It was like 26 nil. And in that game, Brett Mullins had this immortal chip and chase that rugby league fans have probably seen. Um, if you haven't, look it up. Brett Mullins, chip and chase. That's all you need to type in. 
just wonderful and tr- like it's it's like watching Tom Trevojevic, like the like the athleticism and and the, and the height of the man, the size of the man, and the speed. Uh, so shout out to Brett Mullins. Probably not spoken about that much anymore, but after hearing Matthew Johns mention his name, I'm like, yeah, shout out to Brett Mullins. Who who you got, uh, Friendy? For my shout out this week, or well, I've got to go with my men in the red and blue, don't I? So I'm going to shout out the Mighty Knights. Hopefully, we can go one more week in the comp. Go the Knights, sort of. Um, Kieran, <laughs> who do you who've got a shout out for this week? Uh, I changed mine. I've got a, a shout out to Sam Blake, lifelong friend. He just finished his uh, master's in Germany uh, in environmental economics, I think. So yeah, shout out to him. Good on him looking after the environment for cash. Um, <laughs> and I, I assume that's what that means. And and Miles, who are you shouting out? Not a bad gig. Um, yeah. I, I actually have a shout out this week, so I'll I'll shout out Brett Mullins, the Newcastle Knights, and Sam. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. The panellists are Miles Stedman, Kieran Gibson and Daniel Friend. And it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.